0: This podcast is sponsored by XGrowth. XGrowth is the APAC ABM agency. If you and your organization are looking to land and expand enterprise mid-market deals, XGrowth is the agency to help. XGrowth works with a wide range of international and global technology vendors, service providers, and B2B SaaS companies. If this sounds like something you're interested to know more about, make sure to check out XGrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency.
1: What's up, marketers? And welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony podcast. I'm Liza from Xgrowth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about how you can achieve those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level, or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with X-Growth and today I'm talking to Lachlan James, Chief Marketing Officer at Visual Cortex about what are the differences that marketers need to keep in mind when it comes to considering creating content for new and up and coming categories versus an established space with a lot of competitors and a saturated landscape. So that's what we're gonna talk about and, and the differences between those two. On that note, let's dive in. Lachlan, thanks a lot for joining us. Hey, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. I'm super excited about this. So let's let's dive right in. I wanna, the I wanna, first question I wanna ask is, how should marketers think about content creation and, and SEO if they're in an established category compared to a new category?
3: Yeah, it's, it's a great question and it's something I've kind of gone through directly a number of times and th- there's some really sort of marked differences. So, I guess just I, I work in B2B, you know, uh, tech marketing essentially. And so, I think if we use a, an accessible example, that, that might kind of help. So, you know, if you're working for a- Say you're working for a software company that, that offers CRM solutions, right? really established category compared to, for example, what I'm working at at the moment, Visual Cortex is a computer vision technology company. So that's basically being able to programmatically detect predefined objects and actions in video content. It's an emerging space. It's really exciting, but but because it's emerging, it's got its own challenges, right? So if we think about that really established category like CRMs, for example, up right, people's search terms align to what you do really comfortably because people know about that category, right? So it's easy to know, broadly speaking, what to target. So for example, with you know pay-per-click or content that you're creating for organic search, that's that's pretty well defined for you. The how is the hard part, right? So how do you compete in a saturated market? So, you know, where can you get value for your efforts basically? You know, can you get decent ROI by competing head on in PPC campaigns for terms like CRM software, right? It's gonna be fiercely competitive and expensive. You know, organically Can you realistically get yourself on page one of Google search results? Um, You know, it will require substantial ongoing effort, right, Um, you know, and if you're a small team, you may be better off targeting a smaller portion of people in that established category through you know competing on more specific problems within that established market. So if you're talking about pay-per-click, for example, maybe it's positioning yourself as having the best integrations for, for example, the top three marketing automation platforms that normally sit on top of CRMs, right? Thinking about the problem from a specific standpoint. Or organically. You know, thinking about competing for PageRank on more long-tail phrases, right? So not just the the really obvious, you know, three, four, five keyword phrases, right? And I think by contrast, in emerging categories, so I'll, I'll talk about what I do, right? So for you know, computer vision, the real challenge here is people's search terms do not necessarily or or at all <laughs> align with what you do. So so what? do you target? The what becomes the real challenge there. So, how do you align people's existing challenges and how they're currently trying to solve them or search for potential solutions with the service that you offer, right? And so, for example, if you're thinking about that paid stuff again, you really have to hook into more established categories and kind of bend your message to suit. So, for example, there are lots of established categories for subsections of what computer vision addresses, right? So, for example, basic things like people counting and vehicle counting and lots of those solutions have been established in the market for a long time and, and might use older technologies like sensor detection and things like that and so it's kind of hooking into those established markets that people are aware of that people search for and then addressing that but explaining why you do it differently and better because people don't actually necessarily know what you do yet and that what you do might be a better solution so that's kind of where the the challenge is right and or Organically, I guess, for a new category, the the good news, you've got a real shot at establishing high page rank for for key terms, you know, if you've got a well-executed keyword strategy. I guess the bad news is it might not bear much fruit until search volumes for what you actually do start increasing more. So, uh, little good news, little
2: bad news there, I guess. Got it. Got it. So it's it's interesting. So you you're saying you got to go into more details when when it's an established category, you got to go into more details. You got to really pinpoint a, a pain a pain and a problem that you solve. Hundred percent. And uh, and go more long tail. And then in the in the more established category, in, sorry, in the in the less established and, and newer categories, it's it's all about dovetailing your message and what you're trying to kind of push towards the consumer into existing categories. That's, and uh,
3: That's right. I mean, you know, so in a really well-established um, market, it's about finding a niche. In an emerging market, it's about finding a market. Um, so Mm. I I guess to summarize it, right. So completely different challenges, um, which I think both are really interesting. Right.
2: Right. And, and what are the ways, do you think, you know, going after, if I'm in a new category and I'm going towards kind of established solutions and pulling people from there into what I'm trying to sell or what, 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 what my product offers, how deep does one go? Because I I, I reckon that will that could be quite a deep rabbit hole where you you like how f- how far do I dovetail these? Th- does that does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? It, it it does make sense. And It's
3: a great question. The short answer is I, I I don't have a really neat way to summarize that because I think it's something that you it, it's a little bit art versus science, and I, I think that just takes a lot of testing and learning and, and figuring out what works for the particular category that you're you're talking about trying to hook into. I think the only thing that I would say is you're right. You don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole and I think when you know you've gone too far down the rabbit hole is when for example, you're trying to hook into a more established market that I just talked about before. So again, I'm just going to talk about vehicle counting solutions just just as something tangible, right? And then if you are struggling to write whether it's copy for AdWords, whether it's stuff for 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 a landing page, or wh- whatever it might be, if you're struggling to s- neatly connect their existing problem and why they're searching for something that's an existing technology or a, a well known technology with what you do, if you can't write a neat segue that makes sense, you know you've gone too far.
2: Mm, got it. Got it. Okay. I also think, from from a content perspective, it's it's usually really helpful to bash these alternative solutions of saying, "Hey, do you use vehicle counting services? And have you seen you've you've had this particular problem there? Is that what are you, What are your thoughts on that?" Yeah, uh, absolutely right. So,
3: I mean, one of the things uh, you've got to be a little bit careful about, you know, I I do like positive positioning better over negativity as a general thing. I I think it resonates with people better. But yeah, you you absolutely, just because it's an emerging market, you know, we talked about if you're in a really well-defined market, how you have to be quite nuanced with your messaging, how you have to have a really clearly defined niche and position within the market upon which you can compete. If you're in an emerging market, that's not an excuse for not doing that. It just means you do it a little differently. I think the example you just talked about there is a really good one. So where you probably have to do that more is when you're hooking into more established categories to try and find volume and traffic and search. You therefore that it's really incumbent upon you to understand the pain points in that existing market that you're trying to tap into to find volume and audience for your emerging solution. It's really incumbent upon you to understand the pain points in that existing category. And then by contrast, how you do things differently and why that's better. Because if you can't articulate that, then people will switch off straight away because you're already. Kind of getting them a little bit offside because you're taking them to a place where you're offering a solution they weren't aware of. And so, that will appear a little bit foreign to people rather right? than like, oh, hang on, this isn't quite what I was after. So, you have to explain quite fast and quite succinctly why they should read on basically or why they should take the next step, click that button, whatever that is. So, yeah, I completely agree.
2: Got it. Got it. We've touched on this a little bit, but I want to unpack it a little bit more when it comes to user behavior and the impact that that has on on the type of content. Um, again, as I said, we've touched on it a little bit, but uh, is there anything else that you can we think we can touch on there? Yeah, d- definitely. And I think this is really interesting, right? So we, we we've sort of talked around
3: it a, a little bit um, at the start, but I think if you if break this down again in those two different types of markets, so in established categories. Again, thinking about CRM software as as an easy example. Your audience, your users, your potential users, your audience, they are aware. They are aware of the category. They're aware of what you do. They're aware of why you'd bother. There's a reasonable proportion and volume of people at any given time actively searching for for a solution. And it's a common problem, right, that people are aware of. So, you don't really have to, I guess, educate people too much around that. There's a greater proportion of, uh, I guess, the available market searching for what you do and are informed about the category in which you operate, right? So, things like uh, Google AdWords will generally be, I guess, an easier win. Maybe not to like refine them and get really great ROI, but at least to get them going, that'll kind of be easier. Um, I guess the implications of that are, obviously, the landscape is far more competitive. So, again, we've talked about how you have to establish your own type of niche that you can compete in. You know, messaging, right? More nuanced, you really have to get into competitive differentiators and know how the rest of the market works and how your competitors work and and articulate why you do certain things. Not everything, so you can't be great at everything, but why you do certain things better. And then that kind of flows, I think, into the co- type of content you need to create, right? So, you don't really have to inform people so much because, again, it's a problem people know about. They know about the solutions. So, the content types that you need to think about creating more, I think, generally are more persuasive and you can kind of get into that persuasive stuff a little bit sooner, right? Because people don't need to be educated about what the challenges are. And then in terms of customer journey, not always, but often, I think you can achieve uh, that sort of customer journey in fewer steps with fewer interactions and, and get people, I guess, into a selling cycle a little bit quicker. By contrast, right, an emerging category, you know, computer vision or video analytics. A lot of people are unaware of what that is, and a lot of people who could really do with what you provide are right, a lot of video-rich organisations that could generate a lot of value from being able to, you know, analyse video content just like they do any other data source and get insights through that video content they're not aware of, I guess, what they're missing out on. So, there's, you know, the implications are a small proportion of available market um, is actually searching for what you do, a really small amount, and and most, uh, yeah, uninformed about what you do and how it can help them. So, you know, again, we talked about Google Ads. They're quite hard to to spin up. I'm going through that at the moment, and we talked about trying to connect to existing categories, right, and and, and the need to, you know, hit yourself to an existing problem. And kind of blend your messaging to suit and then i think from a content type perspective and a customer journey unfortunately it's good and it's bad right like it generally means more steps because it's incumbent upon you to actually start way further back down i guess that communications hierarchy and inform people and educate them about the challenge why you're doing what you're doing why the market is emerging why it even exists and how it applies to them and then once you've got through that stage of the journey that's when you can start hitting them with more persuasive content that might feed them more directly into what your sales process is. So, more steps, but I guess you've got a really good chance to establish yourself as a genuine thought leader in that category.
2: Got it. Got it. When it comes to content, and we're we're changing the subject a little bit here, when it comes to content, bulk of the work usually is done by agencies where we're talking content in SEO it's you, you go out there and you bring an seo agency in to kind of help you with that with that element how does that you know when, when it comes to hiring an agency where are the differences there is are there any differences when when we're talking about established categories versus new categories um what are your thoughts on that
3: yeah i've got i've got a few i i think um i think there are some really substantial differences um and, and a lot of it look <laughs> In my view, a lot of the reason why you hire agencies is is purely for outsourcing. just simply like as a startup as for example, the kind of you know, position I'm in at the moment. it's because you''ve, you've um, you know you've got bandwidth issues. We've only got a small number of people to get the things done that you need to do. I just as a general comment, I think if you're outsourcing SEO and content work to agencies because you or your team lack the skills, I think that's a recipe for disaster because you have to be able to evaluate whether that spend with that agency is generating value and whether the work they're producing is good or not, right? And if you don't have the skills, and that's why you've outsourced, it's pretty hard to figure that one out. So, I think that's a bit of a recipe for disaster. If it's more about bandwidth, like I said, I think that can make total sense just because it's more, you know, more valuable for people's time to be spent on something else, right? So, I think that's the, the generally speaking, the, you know, the scenario in which you should use agencies. I think for established categories, you know, it, it's it's much easier to use an agency with confidence because you can be fairly sure that they understand the problem or, or you can, succinctly enough, explain the problem to them, and they'll kind of hit the brief pretty well. I think for emerging categories, I'm really hesitant to use agencies for emerging categories because, you know, if you're in a position where you are still struggling to work out, and there's nothing wrong with struggle, right? No one has answers for everything all the time. If you're still really struggling to figure out exactly how you fit in an emerging market and exactly how that emerging market, as holistically, should be positioned to your target market, how can you expect someone else to? Like, how could you possibly expect someone else if you are still figuring that stuff out for yourself? how could you possibly provide an agency with a brief that is a decent brief which they can follow and nail so i think i know there's some broad brush strokes there in terms of rules but i think generally speaking there's some pretty good ones to follow
2: i love it i love it okay so so when it comes to um be be cautious of bringing an agency on board at any given time but be even more cautious when we're talking about a new new category
3: yeah look i caution is yeah probably the right word you just have to be scrupulous about how you you, you go about it right like um, nothing wrong with working with agencies in fact in some scenarios it can be a great way to operate but just be really sure about what you're getting them to do and why you're getting them to do it so making sure that that spend is a good opportunity cost because you're doing something more valuable with your time and as I said you're not doing it because you're you don't understand the area or you're too Concerned about acquiring new skills in that area, those things are not good reasons to go to an agency because at the end of the day, you have to be able to make a um, educated sort of judgment about whether what they're doing is working.
2: Got it. Got it. The last question I want to ask, Lachlan, is is around content mix. I mean, we, we've talked about kind of content that ranks and SEO content, but there's obviously a lot more. Other types of content, thought leadership. There are contents that are bite sized that might not rank. What are your thoughts on the on the content mix that would work for established versus uh, versus kind of new uh, new categories? Do you think there are differences there? Yeah, d- definitely. And I think we've touched on a little bit of that when we've talked about pay-per-click and we've talked about
3: establishing and defining markets and your position within them. But, yeah, absolutely, in terms of content mix, I, I think the-, the same sort of considerations need to be given for the types of content that you go ahead and create. So, you know, for established categories, you know, a- again, what people are really after because they know about the problem, they know about the different types of solutions that are offered, what they want to know, they want to be able to make a decision that they're comfortable with that you provide the best value or the best specific solution for what their particular situation is. So, a- again, like competitive differentiation sort of content, so things that basically like you've got to be careful going down this rabbit hole too much as well, But, but things that outline really clearly, you know, uh, feature function comparison sort of things that that really, you know, uh, come out favorably for you. And I think working with third parties, not agencies, but third parties to basically generate third-party validation points is really important. So, what I mean by that is I mean things like working with you know, entering competitions so that you can win awards and things. Again, as, as another thing you can point to as to why you are a leader in a well-established category, doing things like working with industry analysts and getting them to do independent write-ups about your market and how you as a company fit into that in a favorable way. So, having those validation points I think is really critical to have in your marketing mix. Not, not that they're not just generally speaking, but I think in a highly competitive, well-established category, that's really important. For emerging categories, lots of informational content is required. So, not that nuanced competitive stuff because like, you know, we're not there yet, right? But you're having to explain to people the problem like from, you know, 101 basically, right? So, You've got to think about writing white papers and, and and longer bits of content that are not very salesy at all. That that really do a good job at pretty neutrally outlining challenges and therefore setting yourself up, I guess, as a you know a valued and trusted source. Or don't love the phrase, but a thought leader in that category where people can go to get trusted information, not to be sold to, to get trusted information. So, I think that's really critical. That means, like I said, more informational pieces, longer pieces of content that go to that sort of effort. But I, I think the, the payback through doing that right is that you actually have a real opportunity to rank quite highly in organic search for like just core terms for your market because you have to go to that effort for the reasons we just sort of outlined. That the payback over the long term is if you keep doing that well, unlike really mature markets where it's really hard to be on page one of Google for core terms, you've, you've got a real chance of being able to do that in an emerging market.
2: Love it. Love it. Like when we touched on a, a wide wider range of topics with regards to content creation for established categories and, and new categories. But before I, I want to ask a couple of rapid fire questions, but before I do that, do you think is is there is there anything that maybe I haven't asked or we haven't covered in our chat that you think it's worth mentioning?
3: Oh, what a what a broad question. Um
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: No, but it's no, it's 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 a good one. So I think you know, I didn't want to dive down in, into this too too deeply, but just in terms of different types of content in your content mix, to kind of link back to, to that last point we were talking about there, just to simply say I am a massive – in B2B marketing, to be clear, right? Because it, it's – you know, B2C is a whole other kettle of fish. But in B2B marketing, especially B2B tech marketing, which is kind of what, what, what I do these days, I'm a huge fan of webinars, just a massive, massive fan. Um, and I think they're a really important um, piece of content to have in your kit bag just for a whole wide range of reasons. But often when you're talking about solving a technical problem, words people can get lost in words, even if you write really well and you've got a great white paper. It it takes effort to get through and you need them for page rank and for all the other things of the customer journey that we just talked about to inform people. But when people turn up to a webinar and you can visually show them something and demonstrate an outcome, it really helps to connect those dots in an emerging category where concepts may be complex and you might, you know, you can't see the forest through the trees, right? I think that really helps to lend some clarity to what you're trying to establish is the problem and the solution. So, yeah,
2: big fan of webinars. Interesting. Interesting.
0: Have you read the state of ABM and APAC report yet? If you have, you'll know that 59% of marketing leaders are intending to increase their ABM investment in the coming year. Even bigger news is 0% of survey respondents are going to decrease their investment. It's an exciting time for ABM in the region. Discover the state of account-based marketing in APAC today. Download the full report at abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. That's abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report.
2: Okay, let's do some rapid fire questions. So, the first question I want to ask is what is one resource? It could be a book, a blog, a podcast, whatever it is, a newsletter that has had a profound impact on the way you work or live.
3: Yeah, it's 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 a good question. Look, um, hopefully this doesn't sound sound too arrogant. I don't think I've found anything that's had a profound impact on the way that I um, li- live and work. But what I would say is, uh, Sabri Subi's "Sell Like Crazy" is a really interesting read, which I, I bought a little while back, and it kind of. Look, whilst it gets marketed as like this complete game-changing thing for, you know, B2B marketing and, you know, <laughs> you know creating sales funnels that are amazing and flood your business with, you know, an unmanageable volume of leads. It's definitely not that, but what it is, is a really decent crystallization and summarization of the key tactical elements when you're building like a customer journey or, or like a, a workflow of touch points that you want to take people through so you can you know, take them from that information gathering stage we talked about all the way through to a sale, it is a good resource for crystallizing that workflow and the key points you need to hit on.
2: Got it. Got it. Okay. Question number two, if you could give one piece of advice to B2B marketers, what would it be? Yeah. I, I think generally
3: be helpful first. You know, the more complex the problem, the, the less people appreciate a direct sales pitch. And kind of in conjunction with that, when you're creating content, if we pull it back to kind of the focus of what we've been discussing, always try and deliver something of inherent value to your audience. You know, if it's just the sales pitch, why on earth should your audience care and spend their time consuming it? Love it.
2: Love it. Okay. Question number three. And there might not be a lot of people from, from what you what you said previously, but are there any influencers in marketing or even in general at a, at a broader scale that you follow or listen to quite often?
3: Look, I I, I, I saw this question, right? And I was like, ugh. look, influencers, no. I, I, I hate influencer culture, I'll be quite honest. Um, there's so much guff and noise that you should quite frankly just tune out. There's so many pretenders out there. You know, LinkedIn, as an example, is Very quickly, in my opinion, turning into a dumpster fire. (laughs) But look, what I would recommend, Ryan, this is what I do. Instead of following influencers, make and maintain genuine workplace connections. You know, I do that, and there's still a bunch of people that I catch up with socially and for advice on, you know, workplace strategies and tactics. And I find that to be a tremendous source that's actually really useful. And why I think it's important that you make and maintain those. Know direct relationships, you know, you can trust them, right? You've worked with them. You know who they are. You know, they're going to give you candid advice. You know, their strengths and weaknesses. So you can take, not what they say with a grain of salt, but you know, when they're an expert at something and when they're just giving you a general sense of an area, right? You know them. You know, I keep up with very specific people I've worked with for some very specific reasons. So I've got people I will speak to if I, I want to run something you know, by a trusted source with regards to email marketing, a different one for messaging, a different one for pay-per-click, a different one for sort of market insights, a different set of people for, I guess, uh, technical knowledge within a space. So, I guess that would be my
2: two cents there. Got it. I love it. Last question, Lachlan, what is something that excites you about B2B today?
3: Yeah, look, generally speaking, the potential for just, if we're talking about, you know, obviously B2B marketing, the the potential for rapid Evolution and re evolution through the application of technology. So, you know, everyone's talking about chat GPT at the moment, uh, obviously, as an example, but there's lots of good examples out there. And I think for me personally, getting into B2B tech marketing was like the best thing that I accidentally did. I just kind of, you know, got a first job out of uni and continued down this path, and here we are, right? But it, it made me uh, I get my head around technology far more than I think I ever would have because I had to for the subject matter. You know, in which I was working. You know, otherwise I, w- I would have failed at my job. But what it also made me do it made me far more technologically capable and curious generally, which I could then go and apply to my job directly. Um, not just the content I create because of the um, types of categories and markets I work in. So, you know, that means things like knowing how to build websites, set up CRMs, program chatbots. That sort of stuff, things that I would have never been able to do unless I'd been forced to get in there, and I'm so glad that I did. So I think technology and B two B marketing is extremely exciting and is really changing and rechanging how we do it.
2: Lachlan, this was a really great conversation. I really appreciated this. Was um, we we covered a whole range of stuff, and uh, especially around content. I think the the topic of approaching existing categories versus versus new categories fascinating just want to say thank you so much for for coming on the podcast
3: hi thanks so much for having me it was an absolute pleasure
1: today's episode of growth colony was produced by alexander hipwell and liza maywald it was edited by dave Semedo with additional editing by liza maywald and music arrangement by alexander and liza Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make the show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just keen for a chat? Send through an email at podcast at That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week, right here on Growth Colony.